Welcome to AWS She Builds Tech Skills with your hosts, Maya and May. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AWS She Builds Tech Skills. My name is May, and I'm a solutions architect from AWS. Today, I have got a super host, Mai. How are you doing, Mai? Good, thanks, May. How are you? I am good and welcome everyone to welcome tech community and uh, welcome to our episode 22 of Sheeple's Tech Skills. If you have been following Sheeple's Tech Skills, we are monthly um, live streaming on the on, on all the topics about the technology, demo, a little bit about the career journey to showcase uh, women in the tech community. And if you haven't seen our announcement in a couple of months ago, we also announced our launch on the podcast. So we now have a podcast across all the major platform. So if you're on the go, if you're commuting, you can still listen to our podcast. We upload our podcast every, every week because we also have a counterparts, uh, she builds tech skill across the wall. So while you're commuting, download the podcast, listen to any of the new updates happening in AWS across the tech and um, and hear from our special guests. And Mike, how is everything going on your end? Yeah, it's uh, it's as good as it can be. Um, <laughs> what, about, what about you, May? I'm good because I just got back from holiday a couple of days ago. So I'm still catching up on my emails. Um, still have the energy from the holidays. Uh, happy to be back here. And today uh, we are going to use the chat function. So if you're new to Twitch, we use chat function a lot. That's how you engage with us and also other audience. So I based out of Sydney, Australia. And my where, where do you base? Uh, I'm in Australia. Um, uh, yeah, I, let's just leave it at that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Where's everyone joining from? Pop it in the chat. Um, Mai is also looking after chat today. So uh, where's everyone joining from? We'd love to hear. Uh, are you joining from Australia? Are you joining across the world? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We've got people joining from Washington, D.C., the Morons. Uh, welcome. Uh, welcome. If it is your first Sheebles, uh, welcome to the show. Cool. Dallas, Texas. There Dallas, seems to be, um, yeah, quite a few um, of the audience members. Um, if I look at the podcast, I can see the demographic of people listening to us. Um, and Texas is like the number one state as, as well as, oh, wow. uh, yeah, as well as Washington, D.C. So we have quite a following over there, which is interesting. Maybe Welcome. there are tech hubs over there. <laughs> monkey, <laughs> monkey, um, from the bottom of the ocean. I'm glad you still have the internet to stream <laughs> and watch the um, live stream from the bottom of the ocean. Welcome to SheBuilds. What is the topic for today? Great questions. Today, we're going to talk about the AWS developer tools, mm -hmm. and we have got special guests um, going to talk about what are the pathway for cloud developers and what you can do use. Uh, for example, infrastructure as code. And I'm sure a lot of you familiar with what infrastructure as code. But before we dive into, I'm going to switch to my, my, what was your, like, you've been in the tech industry for quite a while. What was your first um, IAC workload and what was the motivation behind and what was it like back then? 
Um, IAC, we didn't call it IAC back then. We used to call it shell scripting. So <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a, you know, a bit of automation happening with like patching servers and stuff like that. Being a sysadmin, um, our, our life was pretty much focused, focused on maintaining servers. So, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah, so that was my life. What about you, May? Actually, my was, um, uh... We were, we were thrown into a deep end. We started off with Kubernetes and Terraform. So um, without actually knowing what it was, but because we were just like, okay, um, that was one of the projects. And then we just started off using it um, without actually knowing how to use it properly. So <laughs> that was interesting journey. Um, it does have a little bit of a learning curve uh, for me because like being engineer, we just mostly spend time writing code pushing it into production and then there are DevOps team who look after it. But now we just kind of combine back in the day uh, what we were doing in terms of our roles and responsibilities and actual the software engineer starting to do the infrastructures code. So that was fun learning. Yeah, awesome. I think this is my partner. This is my Oh, that's dog. very kind. <laughs> Shout out to my partner for taking care of me. Oh, um, I'm sure lemon honey water will help you with the sore throat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so for today's topic, uh, for infrastructure's code or if you want to call it developer toolkit, um, we have got a special guest called um, our special guest is Jody Mandela who is a solutions architect from AWS and who's based out of Auckland in New Zealand. And she'll be talking about all the developer tools and uh, something really awesome pathway that you can take away from today's sessions. Hello, Jody. welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, May and Mai for having me. And how, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. It's really great to be here. Oh, we've got someone from um, Auckland, New Zealand, Caroline. Um, welcome to the show. So before we talk about um, the, today's topic, I just want to touch a little bit about your career. Um, you have such an amazing career uh, in the last 20 years. Am I, am I right? Yeah, 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that is really awesome. And um, I just want to touch a little bit about your current role like, how did you get into your current role at AWS? And um, tell us a little bit about your career history. Yep, thanks, May. Um, so, uh, as I said, I've got 20 years experience. Um, I started out as a developer uh, back in India, in my hometown. I was having fun. It, it was uh, just, you know, go to work, have fun with your colleagues, uh, more than, you know, coding. But, um, and then I'm, I mean, I moved, moved uh, to a different city so that I could advance my skills. Um, and then 10 years ago, we moved to New Zealand. And um, my journey with the cloud started about eight years ago when I was at this company called Erode, uh, where I got the chance to move into the solution architecture team uh, who gave guidance to the other, t other teams that, that were there and also with uh, building out a high high. Um, throughput event streaming pipeline. So, got, you know, got familiar with Kinesis yeah. and all those other tools. Um, and then it was, I was part of a team. So I, I, I got the skills, uh, but I started craving for more. So then I moved to a company where I was the only solution architect and I, 
I felt confident when I was able to address the questions that I was faced with giving that architectural guidance. And then I felt, yeah, probably I'm ready to do this at a larger scale and be able to spread the learnings that I have accumulated across those 20 years in the industry. Um, and so I applied for the role at AWS uh, uh, through a known contact who had worked with me earlier, went through the interview process, and uh, that's how I landed at the role at AWS. Yeah, no, that's really, really amazing. And um... I guess, so you started off with software developers and then move into a solutions architects. And there's still quite a bit of a difference between these two roles. So how, like, uh, I'm just curious, how did you fill the skills gap or how did you, you know, manage to uh, jump into a different roles, which, you know, responsibility are slightly different in that case? Yep, that's a good question. Um, so as part of, um, you know, with the move to say scrum teams, right? At the start, it used to be a um, waterfall model where you used to have an enterprise architect and they would decide the architecture for um, the solution that was going to be built and that would be passed down to you. And all you had to do was to ensure that you wrote good code and had the tests written, the unit tests at that time. Um, but uh, with the move to more agile methodologies, uh, you know, and, and being able to de develop and um, deploy things faster, uh, teams were made to be a bit more independent and make more decisions on, on your architecture and infrastructure that you would like to choose, um, and as well with microservices. So you got a so I got a bit of exposure by being a part of a team as well as leading. So I became a team lead first, so software developer, team lead slash tech lead. Uh, and then moved into the solution architecture team where it was also about spreading those best practices um, and looking ahead, right? It was not just about that one feature that you had to build. So it was a progressive journey uh, that I had, uh, but yep. at each stage I was, you know, getting the skills required to now be able to uh, ask the right questions uh, to be able to give the best practice, um, best architectural guidances. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I, I would love to hear anyone who is watching the stream or if you're listening on the podcast, um, let us know uh, if you have switched the role within your career from, you know, from different role to another role that will uh, make you more challenging, that's you exposed to a new things that you haven't ex experienced before. Let us know in the chat, share us your experience. Um, this is the place to learn each other, share their journey, and, um, and hopefully we can learn from each other. And um, Jyothi, if, uh, if I may ask, I guess, Within your career, what advice would you give to people who is thinking about, you know, pivoting to a tech career roles, uh, maybe somebody who comes from non-tech backgrounds, what advice would you give? It could be a younger generations uh, who is thinking about, should I go into tech or should I move, should I look into something different? Yeah, that's uh, a question that many people do ask uh, me. And uh, my response is uh, that, um, you know, you should, um, I mean, if you think that it's because, you know, you have to be good at math and only then can you consider a career in tech, you, you're probably mis, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're probably um, misunderstanding that you don't have to be good at math. Mm -hmm take on a role in tech. Uh, you just need to be a problem solver. That's what we need in this industry. We need uh, you know, problem solvers, analytical thinking. Um, and uh, you, it doesn't have to mean, a tech role doesn't have to mean that you are coding. A tech role can be like you know, what we do as solution architects, where we, are, we uh, listen to what our customers are wanting from us, uh, work backwards from their problems to give them you know, an architecture diagram and uh, best practice guidance. Uh, you could also be you know, in uh, other software development companies 
companies, you, you can also be a product owner or a scrum master, where if you're a people person, uh, you can, you know, look at uh, eliminating bottlenecks that prevent people from getting things done with software developers. So you don't have to be in tech to only code, but you can still have a tech role uh, or a company in a tech, uh, or a role in a tech company. Um, yeah. And you don't have to be good at math for that. So, yeah. That's a great yeah. call out, isn't it? Oh, usually speaking of call outs, Cygamer says, my previous career is a full-time seafarer to a certified AWS cloud practitioner. Wow. That's pretty That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> How do you not get seasick is my question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, now speaking of um, some of the highlights you mentioned, so uh, Jyoti, can you share one of the highlights from your career journey? I can probably share two, um, actually, rather than just one, sorry, because I couldn't think of uh, just one. Uh, so one is uh, working in that uh, becoming a solution architect or uh, being a part of the solution architects team at Erode, where I was working on the uh, high throughput event ingestion pipelines. Uh, and we had uh, we were tasked with being able to find a new database and, uh, you know, we now uh, you know, so until then I had had experience only with relational databases. And then we discovered DynamoDB and looked at Rick Hulihan's talk where he talks about single des single table design. And, you know, we managed to adopt all of those practices and deliver a pipeline that worked for the company uh, using DynamoDB. And um, that was uh, a highlight for me to be able to like learn those skills on the job and be able to deliver. That was one of those things. Uh, the other one was when I was at uh, say way beyond as a solution architect. Um, and uh, we had, you know, there was a customer who was uh, threatening to pull out because they were not being able to get all of their data through the web socket. Um, and then, you know, so I spent a, a week working with them to uh, come up with an alternative solution that worked for them using S3 pre-signed URLs and, um, the, you know, API endpoints. So that was another highlight that I was able to kind of deliver for the customer. Uh, and uh, the customer then went on to order more uh, uh, devices that they sold, sold. So, yeah, I guess those were two highlights that I have uh, from my career, at least from the recent. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so you solved so many uh problems for your customers with awesome solutions using AWS, which is which is awesome. Um, and speaking of solutions, so it seems like you've got something that you want to show us in terms of your uh, uh, infrastructure's code and a bit of a demo. Um, yes. So should we switch to that? Yep, I will share my screen. So being a software developer for almost 20 years and hands-on, uh, this is really, I mean, I'm really excited to be doing this. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, just going to share my screen uh, and you should be seeing my screen. Um, so today we'll talk about uh, uh, the golden pathways for cloud developers. Uh, basically, uh, what we will do is we look at what, with, what are the current development challenges that most uh, teams, uh, software development teams face, uh, and then what are the tools that are available from AWS as offerings that you can leverage uh, to address some of those challenges. Um, and then we look at um, the, you know, look at when to choose serverless and when to look at containers um, and uh, look at two tools, which you've probably maybe already heard of, but uh, which enhance further uh, the uh, development experience on the cloud. 
So looking at the uh, current development challenges, uh, most businesses, uh, you know, and so most software development businesses and teams, uh, the, the business requires of the development team fast delivery of software, software that scales is highly available for tolerant and has zero downtime. And the expectation is that in doing so, the team is therefore focusing on innovation and building out features that differentiate the company from the competition. So that's what the business wants. The company wants to be you know, number one. Um, and while the developers uh, would love to do that, they're also faced with the complexities of dealing with multiple programming languages, uh, working with different frameworks and uh, libraries within each of those different languages, setting them up, learn, becoming gurus in each of those, um, and also learning how to integrate with different vendors and APIs, what are the best API integration patterns that should be applied, uh, being able to socialize these best practices across the team, enforcing them. Uh, and all of this, you know, takes the, the, the time uh, from the developers from being able to meet the needs of the business. So it shows up as stress. And um, so what we have today is, um, you know, in the, on the slide is all of the services that AWS has to offer cloud developers. It's broken down by the stage of the development pipeline that they're applicable to. And each of, I'll go over some of them and we'll see how each of them help at, at that particular stage. They, they are all designed in a way to be able to um, follow the best practices when it comes to development, where you want to be able to identify problems as early as possible. So following the shift left strategy, where you want to be, where it's much cheaper to find a bug uh, at the earliest uh, stage, as in, you know, when it's either an author, author source artifact, build and test, rather than after it's been deployed and given to the customer. So it's much cheaper to find a bug uh, sooner rather than later. And so that's how the, most of these tools are designed as well to enable you and support you in that journey. So starting, um, you know, with the author phase, uh, we have Cloud9, which is the web-based IDE, uh, it, uh, and it supports multiple different IDEs. Uh, you do no longer need uh, a powerful laptop with large amounts of RAM and CPU uh, to be able to run your IntelliJ or your Eclipse. And, you know, very often I've, I've personally had Eclipse and IntelliJ crashing my laptop, uh, so you can leverage uh, Cloud9 for that. Um, and then the IDE toolkits, which bring in a bit of, you know, which enhance your uh, IDE experience, uh, for example, by automatically generating your infrastructure as a diagram. Uh, so it kind of enhances you to be able to, to be to have it more visual and help you build code faster and know and get gain confidence in the infrastructure that you've built out. Um, and then the SDKs, which enable you to interact with the AWS uh, resources. Code Whisper is one of the tools that we'll talk about uh, later. It is a code recommender engine uh, that we have uh, on AWS, which again is um, you know meant to help you build code faster by making you know by enabling you to use the recommendations uh, which follow best practices to build code faster or to write code code faster. Uh, I just wanted to jump in there, um, May. Have you used Code Whisperer um, and demo that in front of customers? I haven't. Um done a demo but i tested out the code whisperer which is pretty cool like it's safe it's like you, you can see the benefits usually when you write a code like for example a silly example for loop <laughs> and then you have those indexes and then all these different languages have a, a slightly different syntax and then um you know if you're just testing it out like when i was testing out the code whisperer it was pretty um pretty accurate um and also it gave you an options of like okay this could be another way to write um a different kind of statement rather than what i usually write so um 
I think that's just like sometimes you will go and Google that. Okay, like how do you index or how do you uh, find a particular things in the array and stuff? And in that case, that could that could definitely help. Yeah. It is. It is pretty cool. I, what I I love about it is uh, you know it takes away that time that it takes you to go to Stack Overflow perhaps and look for a solution yeah. <laughs> and then you know pass through it, find the one that actually is you know follows best practices and then yeah. get that into your uh, your IDE. Uh, yeah. And the other one that I really love because personally, as I said, I've been a tech lead before, so I've had to review a lot of code uh, and a lot of unit tests and. Yeah the tests that actually do nothing and then that's a waste of time so i really love that with code whisperer you can write your unit tests as well you can just say write a unit test for this method oh and really that's amazing yes it's really i haven't amazing. tried that yeah because it, it, it can be quite uh it takes quite a bit of time to like write all the unit test case to cover like, each individual use cases so yes. if the code whisperer can do it it would definitely save time i remember write, writing just like for a simple statement and then you write all the boundary you know um during the, within that index so um yeah that's pretty cool yeah i found that really cool because then it not only saves time with writing those tests but it also saves time for the person who has to review it uh but yeah. what yeah, we'll talk more about Code Whisperer in a bit, you know, as well. So moving on with the source and artifact for your version control uh, for your source as well as your artifacts, there's Code Commit and Code Artifact. Um, and then for your images, your container images, there's ECR. Uh, Code Guru is another interesting service, which is a scan, which scans your... Uh, Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, which scans your uh, code, um, your code, and makes recommendations on improving performance as well as perhaps uh, better security. Um, from a build perspective, uh, we have uh, Code Build, which is our continuous uh, integration uh, platform, uh, and Device Farm, which enables you to be able to simulate different devices and be able to test across multiple devices. So it, it, it helps you build faster because you don't need actual physical hardware to be able to test um, across multiple devices. And Fault Injection Simulator, which uh, has the concept of experiment templates, which enable you to inject failures into your workload to see how your workload would uh, react and validate. Like, for example, let's say you had had a highly available your the requirement was for you to have a highly available application. You can validate that it is, in fact, highly available by injecting different kinds of faults using Fault Injection Simulator. That's um, um that's interesting. So with the, I haven't actually tried the fault injection. Is it something like, um, you know, for example, if you have a database connection to your application and then that will just, if you have high available multi-AZ <laughs> database connection and then that will kill one connection from the one AZ, is that something yes. for the fault in? Yeah, cool, okay. Yeah. It's, it's very flexible. It enables you, it has some predefined templates that you can use, mm -hmm. which are common use cases that most applications uh, yeah. cover. But it also gives you the ability to write your own fault, um, you know, uh, simulation. Yeah. If you wanted to simulate, so you can customize that. You can customize the configuration on how you feel. Oh, like Netflix, to... right? Like Netflix is their uh, chaos monkey. Chaos and, yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty cool because uh, my customers looking at it for uh, chaos testing EKS. Uh, they have oh. a lot of Kubernetes clusters, um, and uh, yeah, they had a look at that. It's like, okay, we'll start doing this. So uh, it's pretty cool. 
Yes, yeah, it, because it, it has the predefined templates for EKS, ECS, so you know, killing a task, killing a whole uh, uh, cluster. It has different uh, templates already pre-built, which um, you know, there's really no excuse, and you can put it into your pipeline uh, to validate, you know, in uh, before you deploy that your application meets the SLAs. So you can even put it into your delivery pipeline. That's that's pretty cool. That's yeah. test the resiliency of their application, the how the how the application responds and how the team responds to it. I guess. <laughs> yes. So it ensures that then you have the necessary alarms and uh, yeah. monitoring in place as well. Yes. So you're following best practices of the well-architected framework, um, the different the pillars. Um, from the deployment perspective, for deploying your application with limited downtime, you have code deploy. And on the top there, we have code pipeline, which is actually covers the uh, source artifact built-in test and deploy phases. So it, it's your, our continuous delivery um, service uh, offering from AWS, which enables you to build out your release pipelines using uh, these services. Plus, it allows it, it easily integrates with other um, services as well. Like, for example, if you were not using code commit, you could and you were using, say, GitHub, it, would, it directly integrates with GitHub as well. Um, moving to the monitor, manage, and secure. So we just touched based on it about observability and monitoring. Uh, so CloudWatch uh, for your metrics as well as your logs to ensure that you know you can you know how your application is performing, how the infrastructure is performing, uh, and you can set up alarms. Um, from a security standpoint, you have Shield, WAF, and Security Hub, which enhance the security posture of your workload as well as your application, um, and as well as um, you know. Uh, make your application resilient to DDoS attacks. Uh, uh, you know, and um, on, right on the top there is Code Catalyst, which is the other service which we are going to talk about. And I will see a demo of it. But what's, what's really nice about Code Catalyst is it enables, it covers across all these five de uh, de development stages. So right from the author phase all the way to the monitor, manage, um, monitor and manage phase, uh, you can leverage Codes Catalyst to simplify and be able to uh, enable developers to start developing faster on the cloud. And uh, right on the top, we have the golden pathway. So for any application, for uh, when you develop an application, you have infrastructure, which is uh, infrastructure as code, you know, as per best practices. You have CDK uh, for that, the Cloud Development Kit. And then an application always almost has a front end. Uh, so the front end, uh, you know, in order to build your front end quickly, you can use Amplify. And AWS Amplify enables you to build both mobile front ends as well as web applications. And it also hosts the web application for you without you having to deal with, uh, say, CloudFront or handling certificates. Uh, because as per best practices, you should be uh, using HTTPS. Uh, so, um, um, you know, it handles the certificates for you as well. And then for the backend, you could Sorry choose. Sorry to butt in. Um, shall we sh shall we see how this all works? Um, yes. I think a lot, of, a lot of our audience wants to wants to see how this all fits in. So I want to see how the um, the demo works on the Code Whisperer. Yeah. Okay, um, cool. I don't have a demo of Code Whisperer today, but I do have it of Code Catalyst. Uh, but let's just move oh, on. Oh, even yes. better. <laughs> <laughs> So we do have, yeah, so just covering off the slide, back for backends, you could either use lambdas or, uh, um, you know, you could use containers. Um, so talking about serverless a little bit more. Um, so serverless app is uh, typically, uh, you know, it has an event source, which could be a REST or a HTTP uh, endpoint being invoked. Maybe from a front end, you have a shopping website um, and, uh, you know, a, a user 
adds an item to the web uh, to their cart or lists the item in their cart, each of that can invoke a HTTP endpoint. And then the Lambda, which is where your actual application runs, uh, the business or the business logic to handle that invocation runs, and Lambda can then invoke either an external service, another API, or interact with the other services within the AWS um, uh, you know, um, offering. So like maybe calling a database. And so Golden Pathway is for serverless. So in order to build a serverless application quickly uh, on AWS, uh, you could use a serverless application model, which is SAM. And it is a CLI-based offering, which is in a YAML form. It's a basically in a file, which is very similar if you use CloudFormation. It's a simplified version of your CloudFormation template uh, in YAML format, uh, which enables you to define your uh, serverless application. Um, and you can invoke it locally. So it enables you to build that application quickly. And if your application starts to get a bit more complicated, you can use CDK, which is the Cloud Development Kit. Um, and what we'll do is I'll skip talking about it and go to the demo so you can look at the demo and you know uh, yep. see how uh, you know uh, CDK works. Um, so here's a demo of CD, you know me using CDK. This is an application of a serverless application where it's a Lambda fronted by an API gateway. So this is where I'm defining my stack. Uh, I'm importing the needed libraries, and I'm defining my uh, Lambda function, uh, the API gateway. And what this uh, stack does is it gets a request, uh, request HTTP request, uh, which is to um, which uh, contains um, some you know English uh, a statement in English, uh, and then it decides to it passes it on to the Amazon Translate service, uh, which converts it into a different language. So this is the business logic that you're seeing here. Uh, where I'm invoking, the, I'm creating an instance of the translate client, passing in the parameters saying convert English to Korean, uh, creating a new text command, um, and you know getting the response back from the translate client uh, to convert the uh, past string in, into uh, say Korean here and return the response. So I'm going to use CDK here to deploy uh, the infrastructure for the stack. So I'm well, when you do CDK deploy, what it does is it shows you what are the resources that it is going to be deploying. And once you say yes, it shows you the status of your CloudFormation deployment right in the same terminal. And um, the uh, CDK stack, I did have an out output in it, uh, which gave me the endpoint that should be invoked. So basically, I'm just calling that with hi there in English, and it's given me a response back in Korean. Another interesting one is CDK watch. So CDK watch is, an, is a, a command which enables you to be able to make changes to your stack, and it takes care of deploying them as you make changes in your IDE. So you don't have to do anything. You just do CDK watch, uh, make your changes, and it auto deploys the changes for you. So here I changed from Korean to Japanese, and I've deployed it. Um, and it has given me the response back in uh, Japanese when I ran it. So that's uh, a very cool, um, you know, feature of CDK where you can use the CDK watch to quickly deploy and it uh, helps you build uh, faster uh, when you use um, CDK. So um, one thing that I want to do, want to add about CDK is also you can use this uh, tool called CDK NAG, which um, helps you validate uh, to the um, uh, CDK NAG, which helps you validate your CDK stack, you know, whether it's following best practices and lets you know if you've got open security groups and stuff. So you can put that into your pipeline, in code pipeline, and, uh, you know, integrate that to get that validation. Awesome. So we've got a comment here um, from the audience. I've used CDK before, but I prefer Terraform. I think a lot of customers, um, yeah, <laughs> see the Terraform or CDK. 
Um, it's, yeah, it's, I, it's I different. guess it's just, yeah, a lot of people have like people have a different preference. Like even in my previous job, some part of the team used CDK, some used Terraform. <laughs> It's just, yeah, it, it's just the preference within the team and the experience that they have. Um, but being able to do the the concept of infrastructure as code um, really helps them. So, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think um, I, I've, I've personally seen that and I've personally used CloudFormation, actually. So directly from CloudFormation, yeah. I moved to CDK. Uh, so I can see uh, with CDK the advantages because it's in the same programming language that you have. You, you normally write your, soft, your software, otherwise your application software. So it's yeah. just, it won't have that, that slight advantage that it's in a very familiar interface. Um, so from a, a container perspective, there are three uh, or contain, or container orchestration platforms from um, AWS. Uh, so there's the Fargate, which is completely serverless. Uh, and if you want a simple uh, offering, uh, you could use ECS. And if you wanted uh, app, um, an offering where you had to use an open platform, you could consider using EKS. Uh, with Fargate, you don't have to manage EC2 instances or handle AMIs, uh, just as any other serverless offering at AWS. So App Runner, so with Fargate, so you know if you've already used Fargate, you would have noticed that you have to, uh, once you configure your Fargate task and your service, you still need to register the tasks uh, with the load balancer. You still need to build out your CI/CD pipeline, um, and App Runner simplifies that for you. So App Runner takes care of uh, all you need to do is you point App Runner to the container image, specify your scaling uh, max and min scaling uh, uh, rules, um, and it takes care of registering the tasks with a load balancer as well as setting up the CI/CD pipeline. And it is uh, suitable for, I mean, uh, an application which is fronted by a HTTP endpoint, um, and it can talk to the resources in the VPC using the VPC connector. One limitation with App Runner, or one thing that you should be aware of, is that it can only scale between one to twenty-five tasks. So if you have a requirement where you need more than twenty-five tasks, uh, probably App Runner is not what uh, you're looking for. Um, well, what we have here is a demo where I've pointed already, uh, you know, App Runner towards a container to a container image, and it has deployed uh, the App Runner, uh, the target tasks and stuff at the back for me, uh, and it has actually, uh, the, uh, you know, registered it with a load balancer with this domain name, which is not very user friendly, and I want to, you know, make it more user friendly because I want to give it to a customer. Uh, so what I'm doing here is I'm going to be registering a custom domain, and you'll see that when it registers, uh, you know, so it's as simple as uh, being able to um, say link domain, uh, give the domain name that I want uh, to use, which is more user friendly, like webapi.appronademo.com. And what this will do is it will spit out the instructions that I need to um, follow uh, in order to register that domain. So it's basically just uh, two um, Route 53 entries uh, that I will need to create an alias record and a CNAME record. And that's it. It should continue. My application will be up and running. And, and within seconds, once it is verified and active, um, I should be able to use that new domain and interact with the application. So this is a Swagger-based application, uh, which if I you know, go in there, you'll see that um, I'm able to interact with it. I'm able to make um, an invoke an endpoint and get the response. So uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, it's very simple. It makes it really simple to be able to deploy an application. Uh, so 
you would you would say that Appron is more for request response kind of applications, right? And if you need to orchestrate a, uh, you know, have a look at Fargate or uh, perhaps you know if you if you already have a, a couple of Kubernetes clusters, you could potentially go down to the EKS route. But um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, so looking at two tools, so yeah, we were talking about Code Whisperer earlier. So uh, it, as we said, we, it's supported in multiple languages. Uh, it's uh, very easy to add into your existing in, uh, IDE. Um, uh, it's, it's available as a toolkit. Um, and it enables you to write code faster, as we've already covered. So it helps you write your unit tests. Um, it, it, uh, there's an auto-recommender, uh, which recommends code even without you having to say, this is what I want. It looks at the context, existing context of the code and the language that you are programming in and recommends the pot potentially recommends the next line. And you can accept or reject the, um, the, re the recommendation. And you can even completely turn off the auto-recommender. Um, and then it can also recommend code uh, based on a full you know, comment where it can recommend line by line a full code block up to 10 to 15 lines of code or more um, and following best practices. It is trained on hundreds of tens of billions of lines of code. Um, and there is the code reference log, which you can use uh, to look at, uh, to reference, uh, you know, when you want to have a look at where did this code come from? Uh, was it written by the developer? Was it used leverage from Code Whisperer? And where did it come from from Code Whisperer? Um, and you can, you know, you can re re reference it in the reference log. That's pretty cool. That will make it the, um, the pull request review a lot easier. <laughs> yes. It's so nice. you can see, is it the generated code or is it the developer has written their code? Um, yes. Yeah. So reviewing the pull request, like it, if it's only 20 lines of code, that's fine. But if you have 200 lines of code review, <laughs> that is a bit of a pain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really yeah. found the um, auto-recommender pretty cool as well. Like, you know, because it, it kind of tries to understand the intent that you have and automatically, yeah. like, for example, let's say if you're writing a Python application and you're having to import some uh, libraries, it recommends based on what you've already um, imported, it recommends the other libraries potentially that you need oh, to okay. import as well. Yeah, That's so cool. It's continuously learning from how, you know, all the habits that you put in as well, right? Um, I was trying to demo this with my customer and um, I uncommented, well, yeah, I put comments so I can like generate some code through there. And then automatically the, the recommendation from Code Whisperer had, um, had it commented out in the first line. It's like, ah, so it was, <laughs> it was taking all my sort of habits as I was like preparing for the demo. So um, <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know if that was cool or if it was like a feature. <laughs> yeah, but for, for individual builders, I think it is uh, free. So um, yes. yeah, you can start using it for free, which is pretty handy. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I, I missed that. Uh, that, is, uh, that is in fact correct. And I think it's about $15 if I'm not wrong for um, business use. Um, so uh, moving on to Code Catalyst. So Code Catalyst is the other tool uh, which was launched at reInvent in 2022. Um, and it is a shared collaborative space for the entire development team, not just for the developers or the testers, but including the product team. So it's one place where you can author a plan for start your planning cycle. So plan your build cycle, author your code, um, get it reviewed, build it, test it, 
uh, deploy it and manage and monitor as well as operate uh, your entire uh, uh, software. So for me personally, uh, I have spent um, uh, uh, cases where like with, you know, going back to the challenges that we spoke about earlier uh, was one, one big challenge was we wanted our stacks to look a similar way. Like you wanted to ensure that there were this level of metrics being sent out to CloudWatch. There was, uh, this is the way you should write out your code um, and being kind of, you know, quite biased. And that's what most large development teams or development uh, companies require where they want that conformance. And it often took about a week to get that all set up. If I had a new project going, setting up a new Git repository, setting up the pipeline, setting up uh, all of it based on the best practices took about a week. But with Code Catalyst, you'll see, and we'll go quickly into the demo here, as that it, it's in minutes. You can do all of that in minutes without having to wait a week where you know I had to, um, that in my personal experience, it would take a week. So what I've got here in the demo is that with Code Catalyst, uh, there's the concept of templates, uh, blueprint templates. And these are already pre-existing templates that everyone can use. Uh, they're publicly available. And basically what this does is it it, it is like the informed biased uh, template uh, that enables you to build, say, in this particular case, a to-do web application, which is a Lambda function fronted by a, a API gateway talking to Dynamo. And it, it sets up the Git repository, uh, the, de the deployment pipeline, uh, the project planning space. So your sprint uh, board, it sets up all of that for you in a matter of minutes. So all I'm doing here is I've selected the template that I want, uh, configuring the repository name that I want to give it, um, saying which language I want to deploy, uh, the front end in which region I want to deploy it in, same for the back end. Um, and give, you know again configure the language that I wanted and end the region and create project. Now in back behind the scenes, this is creating the, the repository for me. It's creating the uh, de development pipeline. Um, you'll, you'll quickly see that it's it's like any Git repository that you're already um, uh, familiar with. Uh, so that's the code. You can navigate it just as you would with any other Git um, repository provider. So here's the workflow. The workflow is where it defines the pipeline. Uh, so you can see that's very visual. So like in my experience, very often the product owner would be like, has this been deployed? You know, the, and because they don't have ex, uh, have an access to say uh, AWS, um, they would not be able to know if something was deployed or not. And what's great about this is because the product owners are also going to be working in the same space, uh, they, they have the single pane, like you can see, because the scrum board is also here, which has been created. You can create your tickets, which is what your product owner would normally be doing, uh, creating the tickets um, and assign, you know, assigning the priority, um, you know, prioritizing the backlog. They can do all of that from this one single interface. Uh, and even the developers can therefore be able to easily, they don't have to navigate between different tools. Uh, it's, it's all in one place. And uh, the other thing that this solves, which is great, is that uh, personally, I've had to, um, you know, I have this history where every year I almost break my laptop and I've got to set up my development environment uh, again on every, on every laptop. This uh, simplifies that because it ensures that every developer has the same development environment. It sets up the, the framework, the library accordingly so that you, I don't need to have to set that up on my laptop. And um, it's, uh, so therefore it helps you build much, much faster and brings the whole team together in one place. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite good.
I think I can see the um, like from my experience when you join a new uh, organization, they have their own GitHub ripple and everything set up in their own particular way. And it takes about half a day for me when you get a new laptop and you join the company and you set everything's up, good to go, still doesn't work. <laughs> so, um, I can see the benefits of putting everything together, um, not just like single engineering team, but you also got like product team and working together on the single uh, workspace. I think that's uh, that's really beneficial. Yeah, yeah, same. Uh, you're better than me. You say half a day. Uh, I take a few days before I get my laptop working. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so it's it, 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 this is really... Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is really I think that is the pain. Um, usually, when you oh, when you get a new laptop and you set up everything, it was environment, Git environment, anything that you have on your computer, have to set it up again. Yes. Yeah. 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 So this is pretty. Uh, this is pretty awesome because it takes away uh, a lot of pain for uh, especially small companies, right, where they don't, they still don't know uh, what are the best practices. So it helps there. And with bigger companies and larger companies where you have your own uh, best practices that you want to socialize, you can develop your own blueprints and share that within your space. It's not public. You can still develop your own blueprints. Uh, so that's also quite, you know, good. good that's there. quite useful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's standardized across, across the board and, um, if they want to implement or customize it, they build it on top of it, but you have the blueprint across all the engineering teams. Yeah, yeah. So in summary, yeah, we saw what the challenges that most development teams face and uh, the tools that AWS has to offer. Um, and we looked at the serverless application and what, uh, you know, App Runner, which helps you build containerized applications quicker. Um, and then we looked at Code Whisperer and Code Catalyst, where, you know, each of these tools uh, enable you to address quite a few of those development challenges uh, that you know we've identified, and that's it. That that's what I've had and what I have so far. Awesome. So I have a few questions here um, around the the content that you uh, just showed everyone. Um, so you know, I'm just wondering, could you give us advice on you know when to decide between using serverless or container services? Yeah. Um, so typically, like if you have, um, you know, one rule of thumb is that if you have high performance computing needs, uh, perhaps it's not serverless, maybe it's contain, maybe it's containers, or you have to look at the other offerings that we have. But for most applications, uh, which are not high performance computing applications, uh, you know, how do you choose? Um, so generally, serverless applications tend to be event driven. And the logic that handles the, each of those events uh, is, is broken down into small units of, of execution, which take you know, a short amount of time to run. Um, and it generally is something where it's um, uh, the, the incoming traffic of these those events is spiky. So for example, if you have a ticketing website uh, where, you know, say during uh, like say maybe during COVID where there was no one really going to an event because there was nothing happening. And then there was suddenly a, a you know, spurt in events uh, as we see, um, it's, it's quite spiky. Like, or, or for example, uh, there was a new event that suddenly was launched or, or you know, released. Uh, you'd see that initial burst and in, then spike in the traffic to be able to book those tickets. Um, so that's one example where you would potentially use serverless. Uh, containerized applications generally tend to be where the traffic is consistent uh, and it's, it's, it's better where you can therefore optimize your application to, um, you know, and it has to be running all the, almost all the time. Um, and then it also is more suitable for, uh, you know, um, 
applications that run for a longer duration of time. So it's, uh, you know, which take longer to run are more, more uh, compute intensive or processing intensive. Um, so, um, you know, for batch oriented, you could potentially use containers. Yeah. So any long running jobs uh, over 15 minutes? Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So um, you showed us a bit of CDK. So uh, what do you reckon the best practices are for um, using when using CDK? Yeah. So um, having personally used CDK as well as CloudFormation, um, one thing that uh, is, is good to do with uh, CDK and, and with, in general with AWS services, uh, resources actually, uh, is to avoid hard coding your resource names. So you want to ensure that you are parameterizing them, uh, but not hard coding, because when you hard code, uh, it tends, generally tends to lead to conflict uh, with resource names. Uh, so allow it to be generated, but for potentially use suffixes to be able to identify them for you, uh, make, make, the, make use of suffixes. Um, typically you have applications where you have a data stack and uh, um, sorry, you have uh, typical applications have a database with static data, and then you have your compute. Uh, so it's generally recommended that you separate your compute and your data uh, stacks into two separate stacks to avoid inadvertent changes. Personally, I have seen someone because we did not follow these practices with CloudFormation as well. I have seen someone have an entire database in production rewritten. It was recreated because they made a change to one parameter and they didn't realize that it would you know, make that change. So it, it prevents you from making inadvertent changes to your, um, to your actual data stack. Um, and then uh, the other one is avoid using SDK along with CDK because it's in the same programming language that you're writing. It's, you know, people tend to use, mix the two. Uh, avoid doing that. Uh, while that works, uh, it makes your CDK stack uh, more runtime dependent and therefore, it, you know, there may, there may be a higher chance of failure. Uh, you want your CDK stack to be validated much earlier in the stack. So you try to hard code and leverage the cdk.context.json file for some resources which you have to look up. Uh, so for example, like very often you have to look up your VPC, the subnets in which you need to deploy your, um, uh, um, say your compute. Um, so you tend to put those into the cdk.context.json file so that you can uh, be able to um, uh, make your stack more definitive rather than uh, uh, runtime dependent, uh, which can, you know, cause something that's probably um, unexpected. And then, you know, you have to redo, make some changes. Um, and you could also um, use, um, ensure you model all of your different environments uh, using CDK. So like, you know, your dev, your test, your staging and your prod. With CDK context, you can have one per environment as well. So you can have a different, like, you know, you'd have a different VPC ID for each environment. So you can you can have multiple CDK context.json files, uh, one per environment. So you leverage that and model that. So yeah, those are some of the um, best practices yeah. with CDK. That makes sense. May, do you have any, any comments or anything to add to that? No, I think um, that's, I think those are really good, like useful tips if you're using CDK and just to, when you're making decision, whether, you know, containers or serverless, uh, just to think about how the workload is and what's your requirements deciding which, which technology or which services is the best suited for your use case. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think we are nearly coming to the end of our show. I just want to say thank you, Jyoti, for 
um, you know, sharing your sessions, sharing your career journey, uh, talking about the cloud uh, development tools, and hopefully, audience, there are a lot of uh, interaction in the chat. So thank you to the audience as well for engaging with us. If you have any questions uh, regarding the topic today, please feel free to reach out to Jody on her LinkedIn profile. I'm going to drop a link um, in the chat as well. So uh, connect us, um, connect with Jody on the LinkedIn as well. If you want to hear more about Shebel's tech skills, um, join our LinkedIn group on the, uh, on Shebel's program as well. So we post regularly on um, all the upcoming events. For example, we we do that uh, we do this uh, live streaming monthly. So please join the LinkedIn group. Stay connected with us on LinkedIn. We post all the new announcement and um, and anything that is happening in the Shebuilt community or tech community. We will post it on the LinkedIn. So with that, um, thank you everyone. So thanks to the audience. Thank you, Mai. And um, I know you're a little sick. So hopefully after this live streaming, you. You can get some time off. Um, but thank you, everyone, and we will see you next time. <laughs>